All right, let's get into it. John chapter 8. I'm going to borrow Jack's cup holder again. This is awesome. I need to get one. A cup holder, I mean. (laughs) All right, I'm going to pray really quick. We're going to get into it. God, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. I rock in my Redeemer. Amen. John chapter 8. We're going we're gonna to go through a big old chunk of chapter 8. We might even get out of it before September. So I'm very encouraged. Um, I'll start reading in verse 12. I'll start reading in verse 12. Ta-da! Hey, do you like that? I mean, do we need that up there? Yeah? All right. See, I don't know what like to read it off there or read it in my Bible. I'll read it off there. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You won't find that up there, but I just threw that in because I'm like that. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Now, interesting, Jesus just comes off of this huge statement of, I am the light of the world. And we looked at it last week and all of the the deep um, ramifications of saying something like that, the the meaning that, that goes way deeper than just what he spoke that very day, but it goes way, way back, even to where Isaiah spoke about it, the light coming into the world, even even when at creation, the glory of God was revealed on that first day through his light. And the Pharisees, they say nothing about this statement. They, they don't say anything about light. They don't say anything about darkness. They just kind of gloss right over it, and they go for the legal viability of Jesus. They go for the technicality. They're trying to catch him on something. And so they use the technicality of the law. They feel that he is not following the law the way he should follow the law. See, the law requires that you, that you have witnesses to qualify who you are and what you're saying. And, and while he's just not coming up with any of them, at least not in the rabbinic sense where you would quote your teacher. They're accusing him of just coming up with this stuff on his own. They don't say that it's false. They don't argue that it's true. They argue the law. They argue the technicality. And this is the kind of response that's given by people who they really don't care what you're saying. They really have no intention of listening. They have, they have no intention of, of fully engaging or even hearing or listening to what Jesus is saying. They're just trying to, to push him off, to shrug him off any way possible. And they're doing it in the context of the law. They have, they know, they understand what's in their head, and that's the only, the only thing that's possible. And they're going to stand firm in that. Have you ever had the conversation like that with people? 
It doesn't matter what you speak to them. It doesn't matter the things that you say. They have their mind already made up, and they just put you off. They just shrug you off. It, it, you can't prove it to me, so that means it's obviously not true. And, 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 and I've had those conversations, and this is exactly what Jesus is experiencing. This is what the leaders are pushing him to. They're trying to get him on the law. They're trying to get him on a technicality. And so arrogantly, I would say ignorantly, they just shrug him off. And then from there, Jesus will go into to speaking about judging. He says, man, you, you guys, you judge, you judge by human standards. You judge, you judge from the human side of things. And he says a very interesting statement. He goes, I don't judge anyone. And we're going to see later on in the text, he says, I've got a lot to say in judgment about you. But, but here he says, I judge no one. Jesus will judge, but he does it very, very differently. He does not judge the way these leaders are judging. They, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they have become the moral police. They look for moral failure. They look for people that are breaking the law, that are committing sin, and they will call those people out on those things. And at best, it's imperfect and it's partial. How can the guilty judge the guilty? And this is, this is what they do. They are looking to call people out, to make people feel bad, to make people look bad, to show them how wrong they are. And in the process, they make themselves look really, really good because these are the leaders and they have it all figured out. They put the weight of religion on people to make them feel bad in the process of making themselves look good. And I have found throughout my experience, religious people just have a way of doing that. And this is exactly how Jesus does not judge. Jesus, Jesus got in trouble for being too lenient with people. In the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Luke, there are stories where people are just like, look at the people he is hanging out with. Sinners, tax collectors, drunkards. He was in trouble all the time for hanging around with the wrong crowd. And then there's, there's a story about, about a prostitute coming in and, and crying on his feet, washing his feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair. And the, and the leaders are like, man, yes, yeah, some prophet, if he only knew what kind of woman this was, he would never allow this to happen. Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. And with compassion, he forgives her. A few weeks ago, we looked at the woman caught in adultery. She, she, she never asked for anything, but he gave her grace and mercy and then challenged her within grace and mercy to live a life of holiness. Jesus does not judge the way that these leaders do. He could if he did, and if he did, he would judge correctly. But Jesus looks to restore people. Jesus looks to lift the head of the sinner that they can look into the face of God and be forgiven. And not only to be forgiven, but to live forgiven. When you understand that you are forgiven, your, your slate has been wiped clean, you are 100% forgiven, your life takes on a different, a different kind of, of 
I don't know, a, a, a different stature. You walk a little differently. You walk with your head held high. You, you laugh more and you smile more. You enjoy life just a little bit more when you understand that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, has forgiven you. This is what Jesus is about. This is how Jesus restores, not the way that these leaders, these Pharisees, judge. And then there's, there's some talk about Jesus and God. If you know God, you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you, you don't know God. And he talks about his father. And, and, then, and then Jesus is going to get into some very difficult conversation. He's going to speak some really tough stuff. And my, and my experience has been that many uh, pastors, many teachers, sometimes they just really focus on this stuff and they thump people and they scare people to try to follow God. They scare people to try to get them into the kingdom of heaven. Or, or some don't even go there at all because it's not, a, it's not a putting people in the seats type of message. It's not a, hey, the joy box is really full because I've preached fire and brimstone today. So, so sometimes they avoid it altogether or sometimes they just come right down and crush people with it. But for us, it's in the text. So we have to go there. And so hopefully, I don't want to be completely Baptist, but I'm going to find the middle ground somewhere. Some of you have no idea what that means, but that was funny. <laughs> that, that was a funny joke, okay? So I just want you to think about that. Ed's like, oh. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I digressed. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 21. Can we put it up there? Then they asked him, let me go to my book. That's, that's, the, that's the wrong one, man. Ta-da! Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why, is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? Jesus lays it right out for these people, for these leaders. He is telling them, you are going to die in your sin and you are not going to be able to go where I am going. You dying in your sin is going to prevent you from following me. To die in sin, unrepentant, unatoned for sin is like the ultimate disaster. You can't get a do-over. There is no mulligan. You can't change your mind. And he'll continue. Next slide, Wes. But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. He says, you guys, you guys are from down here. I'm not. I'm from heaven. You guys are of this world. The world that the deceiver is running right now. I am not of this world, but I am here with you, and I'm trying to help you understand. I'm trying to present to you that, that, that something that I hope that you would get. I'm trying to help you understand something. I'm giving you a choice, and I believe Jesus is echoing back to the Old Testament, even as far back as Deuteronomy, where God is speaking to his people. Deuteronomy 30, Wes. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. 
It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. God is telling the people, this isn't difficult. This is not hard. The things of God, God's law, it's not impossible. It's not impractical. Impractical, impractical, impractical. That's what I have, yeah. It's not too idealistic. It, you can get this. This, is, this isn't hard. And remember, Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And it's, this, isn't, this isn't difficult. God has not created something so hard and so steep that we cannot live it, that we cannot achieve it. And if you think that's the case, you're wrong. It's a distorted theology. To live according to God's law, who is Jesus Christ can be done with passion in a way that brings fulfillment and joy to everyone's life. And this has nothing to do, nothing to do with sinless perfection. Believe me, this is about the grace of God. It's the grace that forgives our sin. And it's the same grace that he gives that allows us, that empowers us, that strengthens us to live the life that he calls us to for us to live in the new covenant that Jesus is offering. He says, it's not up in heaven. It's not something way out of reach. It's not something that you have to have some amazing new enlightenment or a great understanding of. It's not across the sea. You're not going to get this by taking some hard, difficult, struggling journey, and then you're going to have your aha moment. It's not that way at all. Following God, it's not that it's, it's easy. Okay, we have to clarify this. It's just simple. It's not, I know it's difficult sometimes, but it really is something simple. There's no obscure philosophies. There's no complex rules or regulations. There's no funky religious rituals. Unfortunately, though, by the time Jesus comes on the scene and he's telling this to these people, They've made their faith just that. They've weighted down this faith with all these religious rules, and nobody can follow them. And they were, they were looked at and, and frowned upon if you just stepped out of line a little bit, and the leaders would call you out and make you feel like garbage. Jesus would say that, to these leaders at one point in one of the Gospels, you go and you search for miles looking for somebody to bring into the faith, and then you make them twice the sons of hell you are you see what their religion had turned into? It turned into a religion and no longer this life-giving faith that God had intended it to. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 11, and this is from the message version. This is the words of Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. This is the promise of Jesus. And then again in Deuteronomy 30. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. 
Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Here is the simplicity of the choice. It's life or it's death. It's to love God, to walk in obedience to him, to to continue to keep his commands and have life or choose not to and have death. It's a very simple choice. And so how do we how do we love God? Well, we believe in Jesus. How do we how do we walk in obedience with God? Well, you put your faith in Jesus. How do you how do you follow the commands of God? You follow Jesus. It really is that simple. It's the choice that we've been given life or the choice of death. Jesus is telling them, if you don't believe I am he, if you don't believe I'm the one, you're choosing, you're choosing death. Jesus, Jesus is not optional. And I know that's politically incorrect in our politically incorrect charged world. I don't care. Jesus is not optional. And this life and this death, it goes way beyond you all going to hell. You know, I was thinking about this. This is a little side note. I'm sorry. But, you know, I can stand here as a pastor and say, if you don't repent of your sin, you are going to hell. And that would be like completely okay, right? I mean, I, I probably wouldn't say that, but... I it would be okay for a pastor to say that. But if I were just to stand up and say, you know, you can all just go to, you would take offense to that now, wouldn't you? Because you're just a fickle bunch and I'm just using the same thing, but it's the way I, uh, I digress. Anyway, so, so this is about our eternal place. This is about eternal separation from God. Hell, Gehenna, Hades, whatever you want to call it. This is, this has that part in it. It has that element in it. But life a life lived outside the harmony of God and in, in, without a relationship with Jesus, it's a slow death. And the consequence of sin, and let me explain to you what sin is. Sin is making anything in your life the most important thing other than God. When, when something in your life becomes more important than your relationship with God, that's sin. And so the consequence of sin is moral failure. The consequence of sin is ethical failure. Those are the consequences of sin. The sin is whatever that thing is in your life that you have put before God. And so the consequence of sin sucks the life out of us and makes us and makes us miserable. And I believe this is part of the story of Jesus. Have you ever seen the show on TV 16 and Pregnant? Anybody? So, so here, so here they, they follow. I don't know why anyone would want to pick to be on that. It's like being picked to be on. Uh, I want to be on Jerry Springer. <laughs> Come on, for real. And so, and so they follow these these young people. And I feel so bad. Young girls, young guys. The, the premise of the show is they get pregnant when they're 16 years old, when they're 17 years old. And I just sit there and and I'm I'm sad for them because not that the baby is a consequence of sin. I'm, many people listen. All life is precious to God, no matter how it has come into this world. But the consequence that these kids go through, um, moving out of their house at 16 or 17, quitting high school, um, finding a job, selling things, 
These, these young people are not ready emotionally. They're not ready financially. They're not ready intellectually. They're not ready spiritually to raise babies. These are babies having babies. This is the consequence of putting, of putting God second and something else first in their life. I've known plenty of people that have been addicted to drugs. Not one of them has ever woke up in the morning, looked out their window and said, man, you know, it's a really nice day out today. I think today is a good day to get myself addicted to some kind of drug. There hasn't been a single alcoholic that I have ever spoken to that was just sitting around one night, sipping on a cold beer, saying, you know, I think tonight is the night I will start to allow alcohol to ruin my life and all the lives of the people around me. There are no children, I believe, sitting in middle school, in high school, and they're sitting there thinking about their future saying, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. See, it's all about small decisions made every day over and over again in the context of something else being more important in your life than your relationship with God, in the context of a relationship without Jesus. These, these small decisions build and build and build until one day you wake up and you're in the streets, you're addicted, you're, you're an alcoholic. Now, I know that those things are really those are extreme. That's the extreme side of the coin. I understand that. But what about greed? What about selfishness? What about pride and anger and hatred and exploitation and cheating? What about those things? Those things are a consequence of a life that's being lived with something more important than God. And that's, and that's sin. And choosing death. We die on so many different levels. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, and yes, for some, even eternally. Jesus is telling them, Jesus tells us, if you don't believe who I am, if you don't believe I am the one, you will die in your sin. You will die rejecting me. And, you know, as I was thinking about this whole exchange that Jesus is having here, so many times I've read this over and over again, and I read it with a certain tone in my head. I read it like, like Jesus is all really mad, you know, and he's all kind of hard, and he's all kind of nasty, or I just read it kind of emotionless. But, but I, don't, I don't think this is the way that he is, is, is bringing it to the people. I have this sense that, that Jesus' heart, it's not hard. I really believe his heart broken. It's broken for these people. He hopes, he desires that, that every person, every life chooses him and in the process chooses life. He is going to die on the cross for the Pharisees in the Bible. He will die on the cross for the teachers of the law. He will die on the cross for the people that put him on the cross. He has the desire for life for all of his creation. And so I believe even though these words are hard words, they're not spoken harsh. They're spoken in a way that, with a heavy heart, that these people would get it. Jesus doesn't want one to perish. He knows, he knows that there is a point. There is a point in people's lives when it's too late. There's a point in people's lives when the deal has been sealed. 
where you can't go back. You can't change your mind. He knows it. He knows that there's a point when people will physically die in their sin, which is the rejection of who Jesus is, and they will not be able to go where he is. I don't say this to instill fear in anyone. I am not one of those guys that thinks you can scare people into the kingdom of God. You can't, I cannot scare anybody into heaven. It doesn't work. But I too say that with, with, with a heavy heart. My desire is for people to choose life. My desire is for people to choose, choose Jesus and live a life that has been transformed by the spirit of God and everything gets different. Choose life for today and for life eternal. John eight twenty five. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. Ha ha, there it is. Told you it's coming. But he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about the, his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Verse 25, that first line up there, who are you, they asked. Better translated, who do you think you are? Jesus pretty much just came up to the religious leaders of his day and told them, you are all going to die in your sin. He is not winning friends and influencing people. It would be like if we were in the Catholic tradition, flying to Rome, going to the Vatican, having a uh, coming up to the cardinals and the pope and saying, Ha ha ha, if you don't believe in me, you're all gonna, you're gonna die in your sin. This is huge. This is not something to be taken lightly. Jesus is challenging the religious leadership of his day. And he tells them, listen, I'm exactly who I've been telling you from the very beginning. And yes, Jesus' message has been consistent, but it's also, he is referring to, he is, he is, I am. Jesus has been the same from the very beginning. In Deuteronomy 30, 14, I love what it, it says there. Put that at west. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. The word is very, and in, in, back in the Old Testament, Moses is saying the word is near you. And John says, Jesus is the word. And that word is still near. Jesus is who he is from the beginning of the beginning. And even as he's aggravating all of these people, even as he's poking at the religious leaders, even as he's just frustrating them and they're looking to get him on a technicality, people continue to put their faith in him. Jesus knows people are putting their faith in him. He gets it. He knows what's in their hearts. He knows what's going on. They're coming to a faith. <clears throat> and he doesn't congratulate anyone. He's not like, praise me, you're trying to get the Yahoo, you know, come on into the family. There's none of that going on. In fact, he will speak to them of another very hard truth. I think it was hard for them to hear, and I still believe it's hard for us to hear today. John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. His attention has now turned to the people who have begun to put their faith in him, the people who have believed in who Jesus is. And what he's saying, he's talking to these people, and he must know something is going on within them, that they have this willingness to believe, but there's a willingness, they're missing something. And I believe it's, they're missing the desire, the opportunity, the, 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 the forethought to actually submit to who Jesus is. It's the one step that implies a real faith. It's the one step that implies a real trust. One of the most dangerous spiritual places a person can be in is to believe that Jesus is true and do nothing about it. That your life is just lived completely contrary to the very thing you believe is true. To recognize him as true, do nothing. He says to them, Man, you've got to hold on. You've got to abide in. You've got to follow my teaching. You've got to understand what I'm telling you. He understands them, that they've made some surface-level commitment. It's easy to be attracted to Jesus. He's a guy that loves deeply. He cares deeply. He forgives quickly. His sense of justice is turning things upside down in his culture. And I believe that, that, the, that the follower of Jesus today, and, and embracing that same sense of justice, turns things upside down in our culture. And then we love that verse, don't we? And, and, and we'll know the truth, and it will set us free. Man, don't. This feels good, doesn't it? You're just like, oh, I know the truth. The truth has set me free. But too often we fail to read what comes before that. If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciple. If you hold on to my teaching, you have become my student. I have to wonder if we sit in church every week and we listen to the good-looking bald pastor with tattoos. And we hear what he's saying. And we believe it. It sounds good. And then we leave. And our life reflects nothing. Our life has no transformation. Nothing of the Spirit transforming and changing us out there. Are we the same as these Jews that Jesus is speaking to? Jesus is very clear. Okay, if you like me, if you believe in me, that's great. But I have much more for you. There is so much more for you. If you just hold on to my teaching, if you follow the things I am telling you, you will know what it means to be free. You will walk in freedom and you will know truth and that truth will set you free. But first, first you have to get it on a much deeper level. And, and right away, we like to go for, oh, I got to be better. I got to stop this. I got to stop this. I got to stop doing that. Oh, my goodness. We go right for, right for, we police ourselves morally. If we find and if we study the teachings of Jesus, it revolves mainly around one point. Put God first. Put God first. If you put God first, everything else works itself out. If you put God first, everything else works itself out. You know, I believe that New Year's resolutions are unbiblical. I do, because what's New Year's? A New Year's resolution means you're going to try to stop something or you're going to try to start something. I don't like the way I look, so I'm going to go. How many people go on diets for a New Year's resolution? I'm going to stick to this one, and by February, you don't even remember there was a New Year's resolution. Maybe some of you that are more disciplined go to March, but I don't think many more make it after that. Because, see, you want to take better care of yourself? Put God first in your life. 
Recognize who you are, that you've been wonderfully made in the image of the creator. And you know what? You start to, you start to live just a little differently. We have to stop, stop trying to stop things. Maybe we should start taking things up. Okay, let me challenge you with this. What if, what if all Christian people, okay, let's just start here. What if we, because we don't get that many hits on the website, so nobody's going to hear this. So, so what, if, what if we, everyone in this room, every day, did one thing that was completely unselfish. One thing that had absolutely no benefit to you, but benefited someone else. What would, what would your world start to look like? What would your family start to look like? What would your workplace start to look like? What would your neighborhood start to look like? Your town? What would the world start to look like if, if that caught on? Oh my goodness, what would happen? The kingdom of God would be ushered in. But it has to begin with following the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus always listened to the Father and did what his Father said. And that is the truth that will eventually set us free. I absolutely believe 100% in all my heart that you can believe in Jesus and just be a miserable, ugly person. I've met him. And you can still get to heaven too. The Bible says you just have to believe who Jesus is and then you're in, right? And now you can go theologically in a whole bunch of different directions, but I, you don't have a microphone and I do. So, haha. And 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 so, but but you can live a miserable life believing in Jesus and still get to heaven. That's the freedom. That's not only the freedom that God wants for you. You don't have to be miserable, angry. You don't have to be prideful or arrogant. You don't have to live in addiction. You can be set free today. This day. If you hold on to the teaching of Jesus. And it says, then it doesn't say, it doesn't, listen to what it says. If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciple. It doesn't say, if you hold on to my teaching, you will become my disciple. If you hold on to that teaching, you are his students. You are his follower. And the followers followed the rabbi to learn. You don't have to get it right, right off the bat, but you have to begin to put God first. That is the core of the teachings of Jesus. And then you'll know the truth. That truth will set you free. And it's a truth that's bound up in the person of who Jesus is. And it's not so much a freedom from the darkness of our mistakes, but it's a freedom from the sin in our lives. And it's a freedom that many people, many people don't even know they need. Many people live in this place of having um, privilege, financial, social privilege, religious privilege. And they don't understand that they're missing the point. They have failed to put God first and they rest in the things of this world and they miss it. Jesus said that if you Hold on to my teaching. You will be my disciple. And then you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. And as we take communion this morning, I want to encourage you to do the work in your own hearts of where are you with this? Have you been set free? Are you just kind of going through the motions? What area in your life has, has you have, that you have yet to give over to God? What is more important than God in your life? 
and begin to dialogue and remember that that table represents a love that we can only begin to understand. That table represents the truth and that table represents freedom. So as you're ready, you take the elements and we'll take them together.